Welcome to the weekly podcast of Valley Church. I pray that this message will fill you with the hope of the gospel and will help you follow Jesus today. If you would like to check out more resources or donate to this ministry, visit valleychurchwv.com. Now let's tune in to this week's message. We're going to get into God's Word this morning, so if you have your Bibles, uh, turn over to John chapter 15. That's where we're going this morning. And um, what a blessing it is going to be to, uh, to just get into God's Word. We are actually on the last week of our series, The Elimination of Hurry. And um, just encourage you, if you haven't been here for, for some of the past weeks, um, you can listen back. And uh, actually, I'll, I'll just give you a little teaser. If you want to listen on podcast, we have our new Valley Church podcast up um, early. And uh, just search Valley Church on Spotify or Apple, and you'll be able to find it there to listen. Um, but uh, it's, it's been a blessing to go through this series, The Elimination of Hurry. And, uh, and this, is, this is something that uh, we, I think a lot of us have been impacted by, just learning how to live and walk like Jesus Christ. Now, these, these things that we've been talking about aren't ways that save us, but they are ways that we live and imitate Jesus and, and obey Him and what he did. And so, um, so this is the last week, and um, I've, I've entitled this message, uh, Abide in Me. And as I said, as we started with communion, we talked about the vine and the branches, and that's what we're going to be going to in John chapter 15. So if you have your Bibles, go there with me. And um, I just want to begin by saying this. I'm, I'm wondering this morning from some of you, how many of you like to garden? Okay, it's about, what, eh, 40%, right? Okay, how many of you, like, hate gardening? <laughs> I have my hand raised, so. <laughs> wow, okay, so we, we just, like, we have, we've got, like, polar opposites, don't we, okay? It's a good thing we're united by Jesus Christ together today, because I don't know if we would work in a family, wouldn't we? All right? Well, I grew up in a family that my dad loved gardening. And so maybe that contributes to why I hate gardening. Um, he had two massive gardens, and he grew up as a farmer, which probably explains why he loves gardening. But he still has two massive gardens, and I don't know what they do with all the food from it. But uh, anyway, growing up, our summers and basically the whole year was coordinated around making sure that we had a really, really good garden every year. And so during the wintertime, we would compost. Who does composting? I don't. <laughs> Some of you do. And yeah, it works. We had a big compost pile. We'd put all our leaves and our grass clippings and uh, any scraps from, from meals, uh, shucks of corn, things like that. We'd compost them and then we'd till them into the soil so that the soil would be really good. Well, then we go from there into the, the springtime, and he would, he would go and till, till everything up again, and uh, we would have seeds that we had saved and dried from the year before, and we'd plant those seeds, and usually it was beans, um, beans and carrots and potatoes. That was, that was the main, main diet that I grew up on, um, but uh, that's what we would plan, plant, and um, then it proceeded to weeding and watering, and man, a lot of work that was. All the weeding and keeping all the bugs off, and, and then it came time, it was bean season. Anybody been to bean season, had bean season before? Yeah, yeah, it's like when they're growing, 
you better pick them or they're going to be bad. And uh, we actually had a neighbor in Payton City who offered us a whole row of beans. And um, we were so lazy that we actually hardly ever picked them. <laughs> and so when we did pick them, though, they were, all, they were, they were too grown up. They were, they were all full of strings. And we tried, we tried cooking them up one time. And they were just na- Actually, we tried canning them. That's what we did. We failed at canning. We did all that work. And yeah, they were, they were worthless. Well, we picked five-gallon bucket after five-gallon bucket full of, I remember, just beans. It was just lots and lots of beans. And so if, if you were idle, you were either out in the garden picking or you were inside topping and canning beans. That, that was our summer. And, uh, and, and that, that's, you know, that's good for some people. It's just I, I just think it's actually cheaper to just buy a can of beans in the store now. So, <laughs> who's there with me? Yeah, I mean, sorry, sorry, but when when uh, when things go um, go south in our economy, um, we'll be we'll be knocking on your doors. Those of you that have gardens, okay. So, anyway, well, what's the goal of a garden? What's the goal of gardening? Isn't it to produce a harvest? Isn't it to, to, to feed your family with food? You know, if, if you have a garden, if you plant a garden and all that it yields is weeds, you have failed. You failed. It's not achieving the purpose that you planted it for. You planted a garden. You, you've been weeding it. You've been watering it. You've been nurturing the soil. You've been picking it all to produce and yield a crop. And uh, as we get to this last week of hurry, can I just tell you that this is God's purpose for you and I, that we are part of God's crop? In John chapter 15, he actually uses this illustration of a vine and the branches. And if you're there with me, you're going to see that uh, this is part of a longer teaching from Jesus. If you have a red letter Bible, a lot of this is red. It's Jesus speaking to his disciples. Now, just to give you a little bit of context for where Jesus is coming from, in John chapter 13, we see Jesus has has gathered his disciples together to celebrate the Passover in the upper room. And uh, Jesus actually laid laid aside his his, his outer garment, basically, and it says that he went down and he washed his disciples' feet as an example to show them that they were to do the same. And then preceding that, you'll notice it's very interesting. He actually washed that disciple Judas's feet, who went on then to then just a few minutes later go and leave that gathering to go and betray Jesus and turn, turn him over to the religious leaders. And we'll, we'll, see, we'll see what happens later on in, in, in the chapters following 15, 16, 17. You, you see his arrest and his, his crucifixion and, and all of that which we're actually coming up on, this, up on this season as we celebrate Easter. We'll be talking about that. But what Jesus tells his disciples here after Judas has left to betray him is what is known as a longer teaching called the Upper Room Discourse. And this is basically, if, if you've ever been with someone who shared some last words with you, these are some of Jesus' last words. And so they're just bullet point after bullet point of things that Jesus is saying, this is important. You need to listen. You need to follow this. And uh, chapter 15 is one of those things that Jesus 
teaches them about. And uh, so 15 verse 1, read that with me. He says this. He says, I am the true vine. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Now, what did Jesus mean when he said this? If you're taking notes this morning, just to give you a little heads up, we're going to explore this passage, and then we're going to get really practical in some of the notes, so just like don't stress out until we get to the end, okay, about writing furiously, okay? We're going to understand, first of all, what does this mean? What did Jesus mean? Well, it means that Jesus is saying, I am the true vine. You'll notice I brought something with me this morning. I'm going to just move it over here so we can all see it together. He, he describes himself as a, as a vine, okay? And, and we know that the vine is, is the part of a, a plant that, uh, that then the, the fruit grows off of and branches grow off of it. And he says, I am, I am the vine. I'm the, I'm the place that, that you get your living from. I'm your sustenance. I provide you with health and growth, and you can't survive apart from me. He says, I am the true vine. Now, when Jesus says, I'm the true vine, it also, he's, he's also saying there's a, there's a false vine out there. You know, all throughout the Old Testament, if you study the Old Testament, you will see over and over that Israel referred to themselves as God's vine. They did. And it's because God said that he planted that vine. It, it was true. They were God's vine. And, and, and so they would put it on their coins. They even over top of the temple, they, they had a, a symbol of a vine that they, they put over top of the entrance to the temple to signify, hey, we are, we are God's vine. And un- unless you are connected to Israel, you cannot be connected to God. Unless you're connected to the religion of Judaism, you cannot be connected to God. We are God's vine. And they were right about that until what Jesus said here. See, Israel was God's vine, and he planted it with the intention that they would go and bear fruit. But the problem was, is they didn't yield fruit. And we see this in a couple passages you don't have to turn there with me if you, if you want to just look on the screen. It's in Isaiah chapter, chapter um, 5. God said that uh, his vine did not produce what he intended it to. And in Isaiah chapter, chapter 5, he says, Let me sing of my beloved, my love song concerning his vineyard. Now, this is all poetic language. He says, My beloved had a vineyard in a very fertile hill. He dug it and cleared the stones and planted it with choice vines. He built a watchtower in the midst of it and hewed out a wine vat in it. And he looked for it to yield grapes, but it yielded only wild grapes. Now keep in mind, he's talking about his own people, the descendants of Abraham, these people that he intended to be a fruitful vine and be a blessing to all the world. Well, verse 3 says, Oh now, and now, O inhabitants of Jerusalem and men of Judah, Judge between me and my vineyard. What more was there to do for my vineyard that I have not already done in it? When I looked for it to yield grapes, why did it yield wild grapes? And now I will tell you what I will do to my vineyard. I will remove its hedge. I shall, it shall be devoured. I will break down its wall. It shall be trampled down. I will make it a waste 
It shall not be pruned or hoed, and briars and thorns shall not grow up. I will also command the clouds that they rain no more rain upon it. For the vineyard of the Lord of hosts is the house of Israel. Oh. And the men of Judah are his pleasant planting. And he looked for justice, but behold, bloodshed. For righteousness, but behold, an outcry. Do you understand what this text is saying? This text was saying God planted this vineyard, but it, it yielded only wild grapes. It did not produce the fruit that God intended it to. And if you look in Psalm chapter 8, if you want to write that down, you can also see this analogy again portrayed by the psalmist where God, re, he says he removed a vine from Egypt. Remember God delivering his people from slavery in Egypt? He's saying, I removed a vine from Egypt and I planted it. And for a while it was prospering. But you remember, they did prosper for a little while, but then what did they do? They turned to the gods of the nations around them. They yielded wild grapes. And so the psalmist ends by saying, God, our our hedges are broken down. The wild animals are ravaging the vineyard. And he cries out for God to turn and take care of his vine. Take care of his vine. And guess what we see Jesus saying right here in this passage? He's saying, I'm an answer to that prayer. I am the answer to Psalm 80. Not only am I living water, am I the bread of life, am I the light of the world, but I am the true vine. That is who I am. I am the realization of all that God intended his people to be. I'm the, re- I'm the realization of what, th- what God intended them to be because they never could be what I wanted them to be. See, and that, that's for each one of us. We realize that it says in Scripture that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. That's you and that's me. We, we are that vine just like Israel who, who cannot, based upon our own efforts, get to God and bear fruit without him. No, we need Jesus. And Jesus says this, you don't need to be connected to Judaism. You don't need to be connected as, you know, generationally to, to Israel in order to be right with God. No, um, and, and for us today too, we don't need to be connected to a specific church or we don't need to grow up in a Christian family. We need to be connected to Jesus. I am the true vine. And without him, you can't have life. That's what Jesus is saying right here. That's a long way to explain it, but, but, but this opening verse, he says, I am the true vine, and he goes on then to explain it further. He says, and my father is the gardener. You can bring that verse up if you have it again. This analogy of the gardener is, is one that I also want you to understand. He says, I am the vine, my father, God the father, he is the gardener. What's a gardener? Well, if you think about my dad, Growing up, he was the one that took care of the garden. He was the one that made sure that it was tilled and, and uh, that the nutrients were in the soil, that the, 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 the seeds were planted and that the, the weeds were kept out and the bugs were destroyed. And uh, he, he went about the process of making sure that things got harvested when they, when they needed to be. And uh, the same is true about God himself, and that's the comparison. But in relation to a, to a vineyard, this, this, uh, this, this gardener, is, is, uh, he's saying in the analogy of, of a vineyard, this would be also, if you have a, your Bible, it may be the tra- translated as a vine dresser. A vine dresser. 
Jesus says, my father is the vine dresser. He owns the vineyard. He takes care of his vineyard. He tends the soil. He's in control of the whole process. And he does whatever is necessary to ensure that his vineyard produces a crop. That's God. He, he, he does everything necessary to, to make sure that his vines are healthy and they are growing and producing fruit. That's our God. Now, I, uh, I've, I've got basically no experience with growing grapes. And um, I did get an experience, though, when we were up in Michigan. Little did we know, when we moved to Michigan, we moved into wine country. We thought it was known for its cherries. Traverse City is known for its cherries. But, but as time has gone on, actually, they've, they've transitioned over to more vineyards than growing cherries there. Um, and it's because of the, the conditions of the soil, the sandy soil, and, um, and just the, the weather patterns up there um, along Lake Michigan. And so, so there are a bunch of wineries and a lot of vineyards up, up there in Traverse City. And uh, we got the experience when we were there to go on a wine tour with someone from our church. His name was Ken Bowman. And uh, he actually gave us a private tour, just, just us with him. He was a part of our worship team and also part of our security team at church. And uh, he said he, he, wanted, he wanted to show us the whole process that they went through uh, in the vineyard for, for growing these grapes and then producing, producing wine as a byproduct. And uh, so, so this was springtime, and we went to uh, Grand Traverse uh, Chateau, Right? Was it? Yeah. And it's the oldest winery up in Traverse City. What they had done is they had imported from Europe all these, these vines, and they had started this vineyard from there. And, and you know, the, the, the master of the vineyard, basically, or the vine dresser, this person planned out the slope of everything, how, how everything should be planted for irrigation, um, and, and oversaw the whole process. So being springtime, we didn't see this. We saw something that was like kind of like this down here with nothing on it. And we were like, where's, you know, where is everything? And what we realized was that every single year, and this is for over a hundred years, they have been using the same vine to grow off of. And every year they just do maintenance on it. They're, the vine dresser is in charge of making sure that that vine is healthy. And they've done a good, really good job because they are known worldwide now for their wine. Well, he, he, he showed us that basically uh, with, with each of these vines, the way that they grow them is that uh, they, they start off small in the spring. And as they grow up, basically, they, they attach them to a piece of string. Now, what I don't have is, is some, some lines that go like this, okay? Because they had row upon row and row upon row. They basically had a, had, a, had a, I think it was a metal line or something like that, that they raised to promote the growth of the vine as it grew up. They would raise it so that the vine could get sunlight and nutrients and, uh, and, and so, so that it would be able to produce more and more grapes. And as it grew up, then you'll see here, I looked at an image on Google just to see how they do it. But basically, they, they basically as it grows up, then they spread it out and then they interconnect it with the other vines that are close to it so that it, it remains high and that it, it's connected and protected. They protect each other. And, uh, and, and the whole time along, we'll, we'll see from this passage, Jesus actually explains this process. The whole time along, this vine dresser is also looking for branches that are not producing. Things, things that, that are not going to produce growth. 
and he, he makes sure that those things are cut off and maintained so that it produces as much grapes as possible. That's the role of the vine dresser. And, God, and Jesus is saying, that is true of my father. I am the vine, and my father is the vine dresser. That is who he is. He cares about his people. He cares that we bear fruit. And it's all for his glory. It goes on to explain it. It says that he cuts off, verse 2, he cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes so that it may be even more fruitful. Now, this passage has been misunderstood by a lot of people. And I hope I don't have to spend a lot of time explaining that um, once you are saved, if saved, you are always saved. Eternal life is eternal. There's a lot of scripture that, that can, can support that. And I don't want to get into that this morning. The, what I want you to know is that if you are in Christ, you will not be cut off. He's adopted you into his family. And so when, when it says in verse 2 that he cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, fruit we can also understand this word cut off as the word lift up. Let me give you an example. Okay, so if this is a branch that is down there on the ground, what would the vine dresser do? He would obviously take it and he would, he would lift it up, right? And he, he, would connect it, he would connect it to other parts of the vine so that it could get sunlight and it could, it could be stable and it could grow up, right? If it was in the mud or, you know, in, in, you know, down in the weeds, you know, obviously he would lift it up so that it might bear more fruit. And it says that while every branch that does bear fruit, he goes on, he prunes so that it may be even more fruitful. Now, I brought something with me today. I brought, brought my pruning shears, right? And this is, this is what God does to us. If you are a follower of Jesus, expect to be pruned. Does pruning hurt? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, but he's going to cut off parts of that vine that are not producing fruit that it might bear more fruit. Now, I've also equated, I, I would also equate sometimes pruning as, as simplification. We talked about simplification earlier in the series. Things in your life that don't honor God, that God maybe wants to strip away and take them off of you. Does it, does it, is it going to be painful? Are you going to bleed? Yeah. But are you going to grow? Are you going to grow through that pruning? Are you going to produce more fruit through that pruning? Yes. Yeah, that's what God does. He, he prunes those branches that are not bearing fruit so that we might be more fruitful. You may be going through a time of pruning right now, and that may not feel very good. You can just think about that right now, what you're going through, but that's, that's what God that's what God does to those that he loves. He prunes us. He prunes us that we might bear more fruit. There's a couple commentaries I read this week on this. There was a man named John Trapp who said, Though it is painful to bleed when being pruned, it is worse. It is worse to wither. Though it is painful to bleed, it is worse to wither. And so, as a follower of Jesus, can I ask you, are you submitting to the pruning process 
of the Father? Are you trusting that your Father, He knows what He is doing? He does. He knows what He's doing. Keep on going. John 15, verse 3, He says to His disciples, You're already clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. What does He mean by that? He means, you guys are connected to me. He's talking to his disciples. He says, you're already, you're already clean. And over these three years that these disciples were in a relationship with Jesus, they were being trained by him. They were being pruned by him. They were teaching and they were obeying and they were responding to the kingdom of God. Except for one. Remember Judas? We talked about it as, as, as we began. And actually, if you look over at chapter 13, um, you'll, you'll see that Jesus actually says in verses 10 and 11, he says the same thing, except he says, like, all except for one. He says, you are clean, but not every one of you. For he knew who was to betray him. He said, there is one who is not connected to me, who is not clean, and that is Judas. He is, he is one who has rejected me. Keep on going to verse 4. He says, remain in me. If you're connected to him, remain in me, and as I also remain in you, no branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. So as branches to the true vine, we must abide in Christ. What does it mean to abide? To abide means a long-term, close growing relationship with Jesus. That you live in a manner that you are at home in Him and He is at home in you because He dwells in you. That's what a relationship with Jesus is like. He gives you His Holy Spirit who dwells in you. He makes His home in you. It also implies dependence, I believe. He says, no branch no branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. Can we be quiet a second? Because have you ever gone into a vineyard or into your garden at home and just listened? Have you ever heard the plants saying to one another, Grow! Grow! Just grow! Grow! <laughs> have you ever heard that? No, that's crazy! Right? Because what do plants do? They don't just, they don't egg each other on, go, go, go. No, that's not what they do. That's not how they grow. They grow because they are connected to the vine. And guys, do you expect to grow and you're not connected to the vine? If you're not abiding in Jesus Christ, there is not this daily communion with him, you are not going to grow. You're, the only thing that matters is your connection to the vine. He says in verse 5, I am the vine. You are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. That's serious. He says the only thing that matters is your connection to the vine. That fruit isn't achieved by working harder and harder and harder, but it's by abiding can I be honest with you this morning that as a pastor, I have often forgotten that? Can we be honest with ourselves that as a church, sometimes we think that really great marketing or invitations or, or energy or, or just commitment 
to church and to being there and doing it is going gonna, is gonna to produce fruit, right? Can I just be honest with you? All those things are good, and we should work hard on those things, but unless we are connected to the vine, we will bear no lasting fruit. We have to be connected to Jesus Christ. And I've forgotten that often. I've, I've forgotten that and tried to work harder and harder and harder and harder only to be worn out, right? And you've done the same thing. You can equate that wherever you want to in your own life. But you've got to be connected to the vine. You've got to connect to the vine. It says in verse 6, there's a warning here. He says, if you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up and thrown into the fire and burned. And so we have this allegory of two types of branches. One is a branch that's connected to the vine and is bearing fruit. The other is, is branches that have said, I'm, I'm not going to be connected to the vine. I'm not going to bear fruit. And so he says, I pick up these branches and I gather them and I throw them into the fire and I burn them. And that's an illustration of what happens to people that reject Jesus. If you say on earth that I, I don't want to have anything to do with you, God, I don't want to have anything to do with your son, Jesus. I'm going to live my life on my own. I don't, I don't need to be connected to you. Do you know God honors your free will so much that he will grant that free will also in eternity? That if you want nothing to do with him here on earth, he'll say, fine, you don't, you don't have to have anything to do with me in eternity. And you can spend eternity separated from me forever in hell. And that's, that's literally what hell is. It's separation from God. Think about anything good that's in your life right now. That's what hell is. It's separation from God. Separation from life with him. And there, there's, there's also, he says, he says there's, there's burning. They're thrown into the fire and they're burned, right? And that's what hell is also. It's, it's a lake of fire. It's, it's us paying for our own sin before a holy God. Verse 7, he says this. He says, if you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. Can I just say again, Jesus does not expect us to produce the fruit. He expects us to remain and abide in him. And when we do, he will produce fruit. What's that fruit? We've got a list of it. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. When that fruit is produced, God is glorified. So can I ask you, as, as we close and as we get to some practical application, I said we're getting there. How are you doing at abiding? How are you doing at abiding? Are you connected to Jesus Christ, the true vine? And if you're connected to him, how are you abiding in him? And Jesus tells us later on in this text what that actually means, that if, if we abide in him and his love, what that means is that we obey his commands. That's how we bear fruit. That's how we bear fruit. We obey his commands. 
That's what Jesus says later on in that chapter. And it's, it's reading his word. It's putting it into practice. It's abiding in Christ and relying and drawing near to him, not only for salvation, but for everyday life. And that is how God is glorified through us, his people, his church. That's what it is. Now, as we close, I, I said I like to be really practical. And so, so I, um, I've got, I think there's 10, 10, 10 different things that, that we could put into practice um, this week that, uh, that, that we can use as a practice to just abiding. And we said at the beginning of this series, the elimination of hurry, that, that hurry is incompatible with the fruit of the Spirit. It's incompatible of the life of the follower of Jesus. And in, 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 in order to uh, be a follower of Jesus, we need to live the way that he lived. How would Jesus live if he were here on earth? Well, here's, here's some things that I would expect that he would do that I think that he would also teach us. And some of them may be silly. You might be angry at some of them when I say it because I'm going to work on some of these myself. But let's, let's start with, with this list of ideas. And this list is not original with me. It actually comes from a book uh, uh, that's entitled The Elimination of Hurry by John Mark Comer. He actually had 20, 20 or 25 in his list. And so I narrowed it down to 10. Okay? These are not legalism things. These are just ideas of ways that we can practice slowing down and abiding. Number one, drive the speed limit. <laughs> I told you you'd be mad at me. <laughs> oh, if I count the amount of times that I actually drive the speed limit, wow, it's very few. Because I'm always driving with what I can get away with. And that's usually five miles over. Now, if it's in town, I'll go 35. But if it's on Route 2, I'm going 60. And I get a little upset at those people that are driving 55, right? And I pass them. Can I just tell you, that reveals how in a rush I am. Drive the speed limit. Don't drive whatever you can get away with. Drive it. Drive the speed limit. Number two, come to a full stop at a stop sign. I guess, this is the law. A lot of these things are going to be the law, right? But this will also reveal, when you, I'm sure, when you drive out of here and you start driving this week, you're going to automatically check yourself when you come to a stop sign, and you're going to realize that when you don't stop completely, you're going to realize how in a rush you are. So just do it as a, just make a game of it, honestly. It's, it's, it, you know, I, I treat it like a game sometimes. Can I actually stop completely and slow down? Stop, fully stop. Um, number three, don't text and drive. Now, we know that this is illegal, and we know that it's dangerous, but we, um, we're so addicted to that dopamine hit when our phone dings or rings that we have to check that notification right away. Can I encourage you? Resist it. Don't text. It might save your life. Okay? Slow down enough not to do that. Number four, you're going to hate me on this one. Get in the longest checkout line in the grocery store. <laughs> Get behind Kathy one day. <laughs> A lot of you got that joke. They run both side deliveries and uh, have 
large carts full of groceries. <laughs> yes, um, I know you hate me, but this is literally good for you. Um, because, because, you know, the, the reason why we should do this is that, that we're addicted to speed. We're addicted to getting in, getting out, and we got to detox. And if this is a way th that can just reveal to you how in a rush you are and just can help you force yourself to just detox from the drug of speed, and not that drug, but the drug of speed, right? <laughs> do it. Try it out. I just encourage you. That's my challenge. It's going to be really hard, and you're going to look like an idiot. <laughs> you are. You're going to have like two things in your, in your cart, and you'll be like, oh, pastor said I had to get in the longest checkout line. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, try it out. The, the other reason why this is important is that when you deny yourself of something that, that you normally just give into, it's going gonna, it's gonna to help you actually control your stress and your anger when someone else denies you something that you think you need. And so, so, so try it out. Um, also, when you check out, instead of seeing the cashier as an ATM, um, treat them like a human being. Treat them like a person, a man or woman made in the image of God. Use that to connect with them and show love, show the love of Jesus. Number five, parent your phone. Parent your phone. You can be like, I, I parent my kids. I don't parent my phone. Yes, we, we need to parent our phone. Uh, our phones have control of us. And so, so I'd encourage you, put it to bed. Uh, put it into airplane mode. And if this means shutting it off a couple hours before you go to sleep, science is saying that we have really a lot of trouble sleeping when we're staring at our phone, especially laying in bed staring at our phone. You wonder why you have trouble sleeping? Well, you're, you're pent up with a lot of things from, from what you're going through. Turn it off an hour or two before going to bed and, uh, and, and don't look at it. Um, keep it in, a, in, in another room. Keep it off until you have your morning quiet time. We, we saw last week, I think it was probably about 90% of us that said that we sleep next to our phone and our phone is the first thing that we look at in the morning. What a horrible way to wake up. Think about it. Keep it in another room. Don't turn it on until you spend time abiding in Jesus speaking to him, going to his word. And if that means getting up a little bit earlier doing that, if it means getting just that old-fashioned alarm clock, right? That goes, meh, 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 right? Um, do it. Try it out. Number six, set a, set a time limit for your social media and TV. Uh, did you know that there's actually uh, parental controls that you can put on your phone that set a time limit for how long you spend on social media or different apps that you might be addicted to? Try it out. Um, if that doesn't work, delete the app and only use a desktop to look at it. That's, that's often what, what we do with some social media. Um, so that, that may help you out. And, and the reason this is important is this. Our time is our life. Our time is our life. And, and our attention is the doorway to our hearts. So what do you give attention to? Number seven. This is a really hard one for me. Walk slower. Walk slower. I've been always known for walking fast. And, and my wife now does it too, right? <laughs> Just try walking slower. I got these long legs and I got this from my dad. You know, he, he's, he's like, how many things can we see in a day, you know? And we're just going, you know? And, um, and I, I inherited that. Um, 
for, for better or for worse, or you get a lot of things done, but uh, we don't, don't take a lot of time to slow down. So walk slower. Um, walk at a pace that you can, you can literally just breathe and abide, okay? Number, number, number eight, take a regular day alone for silence and solitude. Can I be honest? This is something new for Precious and I, but we've been trying to practice this. It, it's usually not a whole day, but it's usually like a half a day where we're just getting away, getting away from each other, going somewhere where we know that we don't know anybody, going to a state park or, or a local park or going up to our cabin on the hill, um, our neighbor's cabin. And, and this, is, this is time just to decompress from the speed of life. So just listen and sleep and be still. Number nine, and these, these last two I think are really important. Because you could practice all these things, but if you're not connected to Jesus, they're not going to change you. So be connected to Jesus, be connected to the vine. And, and here's how you do it. Meditate on scripture. Meditate on some scripture. Don't just empty your mind of noise. Let, let, let your mind be filled with the truth of scripture and let the Holy Spirit teach you from his word and obey it. And then lastly, number 10, it's to observe the Sabbath. This is something that we've been trying to be consistent about, and we're trying to practice the Saturday Sabbath. Jesus said that the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. And, and so we remember as, as we practice a day of rest where we try not to do any work, where we take a break from, from trying to achieve or accumulate, um, we're trying to remember, Jesus, you are sufficient, that you are our all in all. You've given us everything that we need, and we don't have to work hard. And we trust that as you created the world in six days, God, you'll help us to get everything done in six days and help us rest on the seventh. Pra- try, try practicing the seventh. And, and, and do it also to remember that Jesus is our Sabbath. He is our Sabbath. He is our rest. We don't have to work we don't have to work to, to, to earn God's favor. No, we are already favorable in God's sight because of Jesus Christ. He is our rest. And so as we close, why don't we just stand together? Those are the 10. Let's pray. And as we stand together, just ask, ask God right now, Holy Spirit, what are you saying to me? Holy Spirit, what are you saying to me? Take that moment with the Lord right now and just pray. Pray and ask him what he wants to show you about himself. What he wants to show you about yourself. And what he wants to show you about what you need to do. How you need to obey him. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father, that we can abide in you. And that as you abide, as we abide in you and you in us, you promise that we will bear fruit, fruit that will last. So, Father, I pray that you would produce that in us. Produce that in us as a church. And as we move forward into the future of what you have for us, God, that we would not forget our connection to you. God, apart from you, we can do nothing. As we close today, 
just want you to hear these words of Scripture from Luke chapter 10. It occurred to me that Mary in Scripture was the one who modeled this for us. And as the Lord came to Mary and Martha's house, Mary sat at the feet of Jesus and listened to him while Martha was busy. And the Lord answered, saying, Martha, Martha, you're anxious and you're troubled about many, many things. But one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. What was that good portion? It was simply abiding, abiding in Jesus. Father, I pray that we might abide in you. Lord, that you would teach us how to abide in you. And Lord, for those that don't know you, God, I pray that they would receive you and that they would abide in you as you have said that you came to seek and save the lost, that you say, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father but through me. God, I pray for those that are here today that need to repent of their sin and place their faith in you that say, Lord Jesus, I want to abide in you, the true vine today. Let me just ask you as we end, is there anyone that would like to just make that statement before the Lord today? Just raise up your hand to say, yes, Jesus, I want to abide in you. Yes, praise God. Praise Jesus. If you want to receive Jesus today and want to know his grace and repent of your sins, I just invite you to pray with me this prayer. Lord Jesus, I need you. I cannot save myself. I confess of and I repent of my sins. And I believe that you died on the cross in my place and rose again. I believe that you are the way that you are the truth, and that you are the life. Will you save me? I give you all of me today and declare from this moment that I am yours and you are mine. I am abiding in you, the vine. Thank you, Jesus, for saving me and making me whole. In Jesus' name, I pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this week's message from Valley Church. If you were impacted by today's teaching or made a decision to follow Jesus, we would love to hear from you, pray for you, and walk with you. To connect with us, visit valleychurchwv.com. There you will find resources on following Jesus and information about how to partner with us here at Valley Church as we seek, serve, and send disciples of Christ.